It is my pluralistic joy uh, to welcome and to introduce to the incredible body of Christ here at Calvary Bible Church, our very special guest speaker for this morning. I first had the occasion to meet this academician during a seminar that was facilitated here several years ago, uh, where he was probably given the prompt where it says simply that men are in charge, but women run things. <laughs> but as you can see from the insert in the uh, bulletin, you would have seen all of his many accomplishments and involvement. So to save time, and since I don't have the time, uh, I'm going to ask you to let that insert be sufficient for today. But certainly his academic accomplishment is of our guest speakers is indeed massive. And of course his pedagogical influence across all stratas of education, both in the Caribbean and beyond, is indeed legendary. So since I don't have the time, please allow me simply to say that our guest speaker has been a member of the Bethel Baptist Church in Jamaica for more than 56 years, an active member of that particular church. But also, let me say simply also that he is, let me see if I can do that. He has three children. One of them is probably here with me. Is Catherine here today? Where's Catherine? I'm looking too hard. She's she's balcony. Okay. Catherine, outside, making sure he's safe inside. That's understood. Um, so he has three children, of course, two sons. One in California and one is back in Jamaica. But he has three. He has two birthdays, uh, one with the national stamp of Jamaica, and the other is that is that he's a child of the king. So that's his second birth. He also has one wife, Sharon. Where's Sharon? Yes. Hi, Sharon. Wave to us. Yes. Sharon, when you see her again, please rise, because some people have short vision. There you go. Let's welcome her as well. Good to have you with us. My brothers and sisters, um, on behalf of the leadership here at Calvary Bible Church, we'd like to introduce, and we're certainly um, delighted to welcome to our pulpit this morning, our special guest speaker. And as you would have seen from the insert, he is certainly the president, the principal, the former uh, permanent secretary, and, of course, a lay preacher, Professor Errol Miller. Please welcome my brother. Thank you very much for those generous words of introduction. I have to say thanks to Pastor Lee, the pastors and deacons of the church, for giving me this opportunity this morning. I also wish to thank you for the spiritual guidance and care that you have been given to my family over the last three and a half years. Uh, we have been worshiping here, my wife and daughter. They are here most Sundays. Um, they usually sit in the balcony upstairs. Um, Catherine loves to do that. And we are natural backbenchers. We like to see what is happening. <laughs> so I, I greet the folks in the balcony, especially this morning. Uh, we, we are Jamaicans. Uh, my wife is in 
development banking. And the bank has a policy of transferring their staff and her from place to place without my permission. <laughs> and I live and work in Jamaica and then visit them as often as I can. Um, we have a little trouble explaining to people why um, we are worshipping at the Calvary Bible Church and not a Baptist church. Then we explain to them that Calvary Bible Church has a very strong evangelical witness, a great Bible teacher, and young people with whom my daughter feels very comfortable. And when that is said, all denominational designations disappear into insignificance. So, we thank you for the invitation, but I just say I've been here a lot of times. Uh, as, as just two weeks ago, I, I was here, I went down to St. Vincent, I came back last night, and I'm here and we'll be returning to Jamaica on Tuesday. So, the last thing I really want to see on any occasion is a plane and, to, and an airport. If I can get away from those, I'd be very happy. Uh, just bow with me once, one moment in prayer. Lord, Father, Master, God, you know I am not worthy to bring your word. But it is your way to use those who are unworthy and broken to speak your infallible word. So by your spirit, speak to all of us this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn with me to John chapter 20. And I'm going to read verses 19 through 22. And I'm going to read from the Good News translation. It was late that Sunday evening, and the disciples were gathered together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be unto you, he said. And after saying this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were filled with joy at seeing the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you. As the Father had sent me, even so, send I you. This morning I, I wish to speak to you with the caption, As the Father had sent me, even so, send I you. There are at least two ways that we can view this passage. First, we, we can see it as Jesus setting out the mission of the church following his resurrection. 
because this scene is set in what we would call the first Easter Sunday, but it was the Sunday on which Jesus rose from the grave. The Resurrection Sunday. The greatest Sunday and the greatest day in the history of humankind. Prior to this, we could say that he had at the Last Supper, when he, when he broke bread with his disciples and said, do this in remembrance of me, that he was establishing the church. And now after his resurrection, he was now commissioning that church. And we can interpret it that way. As a teacher, I see this passage as the graduation ceremony of the disciples as they now became apostles. They had done a three-year course. That three-year course coincided with the public ministry of Jesus. He had now finished his work in his crucifixion and resurrection. The training was over. And he was now conducting the graduation ceremony and sending them the out to perform what they needed to perform based on the training that they had received. If you look at it, you will see that Jesus taught by lectures. He taught by lecture demonstrations. And for those of us who are in the business of teaching at the university level, you know that sometimes the students don't understand everything. So there are tutorials where you give a more elaborate explanation of what was said, and surely they didn't understand everything that Jesus said and had to be given tutorials. And then he, he used projects, and he sent them out by, in twos to, to, to preach and to heal. When you look at Jesus' methodology, you can see it's very modern. Indeed, more than anything else, if there's anything we know about teachers, is that the greatest impact of the teacher is not just in what they say, but indeed how they live. Being an exemplar. And Jesus was the supreme exemplar. He lived what he taught and preached. And they had the greatest example to live by. I, I just want to make the point that these two perspectives are not conflicting. In looking at Jesus' commission in the church, we're seeing the last actions, one of the last actions of Jesus on earth in establishing the church. And let me say this, the church is very personal to Jesus. Very personal. If you look through the scriptures, you will see few places on which he says, my and the church is one of them. I will establish my church. And I hope all of us remember it's his church. I will establish my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and when we are looking at this passage, we can see Jesus commissioning that church. That's focusing on the master. When we look at it as the graduation ceremony, we are focusing on the disciples and their mission in the post-resurrection period. And from that, we can learn that that is indeed 
what we are relating to because Jesus commissions the church for all of his followers. Uh, just let me say this. Uh, God has no grandchildren. All of us in every generation and in every era are his children because he relates to every one of us in every generation in the same way. Jesus Christ the same today. Yesterday, today, and forevermore. So we are we are we are in the same mode as the as the disciples. I want you to also notice that Jesus never relied on text. He wrote nothing. He left no great writings. Others wrote, not him. He has left no manuscript as a great philosopher or teacher. He did not write a manual of do's and don'ts for the disciples to follow. He relied on people. He relied on the disciples. His investment was in people. He depended on on people. The people he had called and taught. In other words, the point that we must never miss is that it is the living that counts when it comes to Jesus. We sing the chorus, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. The fact of the matter is, the world is only going to see Jesus as they see Jesus through our lives. It is the living that counts. I want to, therefore, in the context of the fact that Jesus relied on people and he relied on the living, to look at this passage in terms of his explicit instructions and then some things that are implied that are not dealt with that we shouldn't overlook. Notice, Jesus says, As the Father had sent me, even so send I you. In other words, the first thing we notice about this is that Jesus is faithfully following the pattern set by the Father. God had a pattern and a plan for reconciling thus humankind to himself. Jesus, the obedient son, is not seeking to do something different, to create a different path. You know, this is the old way and the old people, and I'm going to set up a new way. No, he is obediently following the pattern of the Father. Jesus is the obedient son, following the pattern of the Father, because he knows that mankind went astray by their disobedience, and they are reconciled to the Father by obedience. And so, as the Father had sent me. He's saying obedience to the Father is the route to reconciliation and redemption. The pattern of the Father is to send, was to send Jesus into the world to reveal his, nation to, his nature to the world and to pay the price for the disobedience of us all in rejecting his way. By his sacrifice, the world through him, Jesus, May, redeem, may be redeemed. God's pattern and plan for redemption of the world is to send people into the world to join him 
in the process of reconciling the world. God is not content to be separate and apart from the world and to condemn its evil from outside. He created the world. He gave human beings the capacity to choose. To choose to obey him or to disobey him. But he has still maintained goodwill to all. Even those who have disobeyed him. And by his grace gives the opportunity to be reconciled to him. Even to those who have rejected his way. But God leaves the way open. For those who have disobeyed always to come back. The door of repentance is always open. God's plan therefore is to enter into the world. Not to remain apart from it. I just have to interject here that in about the third century, a, a number of Christians, they, they, you know, we, we tend to, to look on all these things as they are new. But the old world was polytheistic. Everybody had a God that they were worshipping in every place. The old and ancient civilization was hedonistic. They believed in pleasure. They believed that there was no better life to come. The netherworld was not as good as this world, so enjoy it while you can eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> the old world was very hedonistic, and it was exceptionally materialistic. It's what you could have that counted. And therefore, a, lot of, a number of Christians de- decided it, by about the third century to begin to withdraw from that world. In fact, the, the whole monastic life, the ascetic life of withdrawing from the world and living separate and apart from it in, in total obedience to God, in devotion to God, personal individual holiness and total dedication to God became the monastic way of life. It is to separate from the world. And that is a natural tendency when we look into the world and see all the sin that is there to pull away from it. But it was... Gregory the Great, that made the point that the ascetic or monastic life in the continent where you separate from the world, it is beautiful but barren. It's like Rachel, he said, beautiful but barren. And the life of engagement in the world and it was in the ancient cities in which these, the polytheistic, hedonistic, and materialistic tendencies were most seen. The engagement in the world is ugly, but productive. <laughs> it's there that the change is made. And therefore, when you look back, that is exactly what Gregory was just reciting, what Jesus has said. Be engaged in the world. Not being of the world, but in the world to perform the the, the responsibilities and processes related to reconciliation. Notice who Jesus was sending. He was following the pattern of the Father. But he was sending particular persons. He was not, this graduating class did not consist Of everybody who had ever heard Jesus preach. Or all who were healed. Or all who made up the many crowds that followed him. It was made up of those persons to whom he said, come, 
follow me. And they left all and followed him. The, the, the graduating class was those who said yes to Jesus. They were not perfect persons. I, I think you would all agree on that. They had many flaws. We don't have time to recite them. They came from different backgrounds, very different backgrounds. They often quarreled with each other, even as to who should be greatest. So contention was not unknown among them. And to say that they did not understand what Jesus said was a, is an understatement. And not all 12 passed the course. Judas failed it completely. And Thomas graduated in absentia because of the doubts he carried. But Jesus was sending into the world those who were firmly and fully convinced and committed to following him. In fact, when Jesus preached a very tough sermon, it's, the, the scriptures recall that many turned away. And he turned to his disciples and said, Will you also go away? And Peter the impetuous replied, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus to the disciples was the Messiah. But he was their Messiah. They believe that he came from God. They believe that he was God. Their relationship with Jesus was personal and deep despite all of their imperfections. Their hearts were with him, even though the flesh sometimes failed them. In fact, Jesus confirmed this in that passage in John chapter 17, and I read verse 8 for you. He says, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and believed that you sent me. And then this other verse that includes us. And my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for all of those who will believe in me through their message. Listen again to the words of the graduating address as the living Lord commissioned this church. Peace be with you. Peace be with you were among the last words spoken to Jesus by Judas. If you go back and look in Matthew 26, 49, you will see that he came up and said, peace be unto you. To the disciples, and then he was arrested and, 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 and tried and crucified. So to the disciples, the word peace be unto you could have sounded as a benediction of betrayal. Now these words were spoken by Jesus in victory and triumph and comfort. Don't be afraid. And at some point people must look at through the scriptures where fear not comes up. Every time the Lord intervenes and God intervenes in miracles, he has to say to people, fear not. Because the first thing that comes when, 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 when the Lord intervenes is that we have fear that there's harm that is going to come to us. Peace be unto you. Fear not. And, and notice 
that this was a very confusing time. We're dealing with the day of the resurrection. The women had reported that they had gone and found the empty tomb and that he had arisen. John and Peter had run there and come back and say, here's the empty tomb. And, and uh, some people said they had met him on the road. And, but there was a Jewish author, fear and uncertainty. And they were, the passage says here, they were locked behind closed doors in fear. And Jesus appears to them. And says, peace be unto you. If you look at some of the other things, you will see that it, it was not orderly graduating class. They jumped up and examined him. So they didn't just sit down there. And he had to repeat it. Peace be unto you. In order to get them to calm down, sit down, and listen to why I've really come to talk to you. So it wasn't the ordinary graduation address where everybody is nicely robed. Sit down there very quietly and listen until the whole thing is finished. It was emotional. Notice also that Jesus, they were filled with joy, but joy could have quickly turned to embarrassment. Jesus could have said to them, why did you all run away when they arrested me? He didn't say that. He could have said to Peter, Peter, how come I told you that you are going to deny me? And you went and did it. His mission was not to highlight their weaknesses and remind them of their failures. Rather, his purpose here was to commission them to the resurrection task. So Jesus repeated. In other words, these words were not addressed generally, but rather addressed specifically to those who were convicted and convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. Directed spe- spe- specifically to believers in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Addressed to those who, notwithstanding the numerous religions of the world, the deities that are worshipped in different parts, the atheistic philosophers uh, that expound that man is the measure of all things. The agnostics who cannot make up their minds, men who claim to be divine, it's, it's not directed to those. It, it comes to those who declare for themselves personally and have come to the conclusion and conviction that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lord and Master, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the way, the truth, the life, and the soon coming King. I know it's very popular these days to speak about people who are narrow-minded. And you know, if you are a professor, you are supposed to be broad-minded. But I am happy to say, having looked at all of these, I am narrow-minded. Because I am following, by the grace of God, the narrow way that Jesus has proposed. And you only do this by faith. Look, he was sending them to fulfill the purpose of the Father. He was not only following the pattern, but he was sending them for the purpose. God had sent Jesus into the world to make his sacrificial death on the cross and to rise triumphantly in resurrection. Jesus was now consistent with the Father, but he was now sending the disciples to testify and to bear witness as apostles that this has been done. 
Notice this, that Jesus in fulfilling the purpose of the Father for him as a man has received a name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In a similar manner, he was sending the apostles to fulfill their purpose in the world according to the Father's plan. That purpose to declare the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has paid the price, that redemption is possible. He was commissioning them collectively as a church, but he was at the same time sending them out individually. Margaret Carlson has written a hymn called So Send I You. I don't know if you sing it sometimes. And the second stanza of that hymn says, and, and seems to capture the essence of it, So send I you to leave your life's ambition. To die to their desire, self will resign. To labor long, long and love where men revile you. So send I you to lose your life in mine. One of the hardest things for us to grasp in life and to accept is that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and seeking to find and live out his purpose for which we were born is the only true basis for a meaningful, satisfying, fruitful and fulfilling life. He was sending them to fulfill the purpose for which they were put on this earth. Notice the third thing about it, he was sending them, not alone, he was sending them with the presence and the power of the Spirit. He then, having said, as the Father had sent me, so send I you, he then goes on to say, breathe on them, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Because God doesn't send us into the world to do this thing all our own. We can't. He sends us with his Spirit. His presence and His power. In, the, in terms of the attributes of the Spirit. That is how He sends us. Let me quickly say this. He doesn't require us to accomplish all of this in our own strength. For as it says in Philippians, it is God that worketh in you to will and to do His good pleasure. We don't have time, but I notice in our reading, we, we pointed to the Spirit. The passage in, in Ephesians chapter 4 that speaks to the fact, complaining about everything that is wrong. And I'm not going to enter into Bahamian situations. I only tell you that many times when I'm driving in the, in the midday and the evening, I hear the talk shows. And boy, oh boy. Um, you know, and sometimes I say, I wonder if people understand what you have and how much you should give God thanks for. You know, I, a few, sometimes I'm just speaking to him. I remember there was something about the work in Malawi here. Wasn't you were looking sometime? I think people were showing up some, some of your 
some missionaries who had gone and you're showing the work across the world that is supported and the work. Look, and I see on, I see on MSNBC, um, one of their anchors, 10 o'clock, last word, is doing a thing of putting a desk. I've been to Malawi, and when you see the poverty there, we can't speak of poverty here. My, my pastor, the Reverend Birchell Taylor, has written a great book called In the Presence of God. It's a set of Bible studies on the 23rd Psalm. And I'm going to, he quotes the passage, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff will comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And he says, the Lord himself causes the enemies of the righteous anguish <laughs> by the blessings that flow. <laughs> My grandmother used to say, man are right and God a wipe out. <laughs> Don't for a moment think that any one of us is doing anything for the, in the name of the Lord in pursuing that God will not repay and repay in ways that we will never be able to understand. Again, Margaret Carlson captures it beautifully. Springing from her lifetime experience, she says, So send I you by grace made strong to triumph. O host of hell, or, da o darkness, death and sin, my name to bear, and in that name to conquer. So send I you, my victory to win. So send I you to know my strength in weakness, my joy in grief, my perfect peace in pain. To prove my grace, my power, my promised presence. So send I you eternal fruit to gain. So send I you to hear, to bear my cross with patience. And then one day, with joy to lay it down, to hear my voice, well done, my faithful servant. Come, share my throne, my kingdom. And my crown. That is what our Lord promises us. Listen, let me give you a word of personal testimony. That when you are called to get into the world to do things, the Lord knows. Um, I happen to be chairman of the Electoral Commission of Jamaica. And it's not a post for which you apply. Neither volunteer. We have a we have a thing of the prime minister naming two, the leader of the opposition naming two, and four agreeing on by both, and one of them should be is the chairman. And in 2000, they couldn't agree on the four. And they came to me the first time they asked me to serve in the 90s. I just turned it down flat because there were three people before me, and everyone has been crucified. And who wants to be crucified? <laughs> Seriously. And there were very eminent persons, colleagues of mine, 
Because you see, the, the, the salaries of the commissioners are set in law, you can't change it. And we have terms of office that secure us, seven years, and they can't remove us, but the, the selected members, the one jointly agreed on by, by a two-thirds majority of both House and Senate. So that's virtually impossible. So you have security of tenure, security of pay, and a longer term than, than five years. But they can go, every politician who is agreed, with respect to matters of boundary or elections, can go into the parliament and say anything they want about you under the protection of parliament, and you cannot do one thing about it. That is what you call balance of, <laughs> a balance of power, you know? You can do what you say, and say, you have to stop it. And they can do what And who wants, and these days when it's all over the newspaper, all on the internet. So, but then the prediction was that the next election, which is, was, was due, was going to be the bloodiest election in Jamaica's history. And, and let me tell you, when we talk about bloody, we mean bloody. In 1980, 600 people died in the contest leading up to the October 30th election. So when people, when politicians, when um, pundits, and everybody is saying, this one is going to be even bloodier, you can know that you are in for trouble. And everybody is saying that. And then it came to us, look, the Lord never calls us into easy situations. At that time, it was three of us. And the three who they could agree on. In fact, I remember reading the headline saying that you were, you were not their first choice, but you were the only ones they would agree on. <laughs> and fine, I can live with that. One Baptist, one Methodist, one Seventh-day Adventist, three believers. We, we were in time to earn the name for those who were kind as the law and the prophets. <laughs> because one is a lawyer, the other one is a was the president of Northern Caribbean University. And when we met, I said to a good friend of mine, my best friend through life, all more member of Bethel, I'm going to introduce prayer that all commission meetings will begin in prayer. And he says to me, Errol, a lot of things in Jamaica begin in prayer, but the Lord help what follows. <laughs> Make sure that whatever you do after prayer is consistent with the Word of God. <laughs> and that's what good friends are for. And we simply followed it through. The 2002 elections was much better. Big improvement. Everybody recognized it. As a result of that, we couldn't leave. When it came time to reappoint us, up to now we can't leave. The 2007 election was, was an improvement. But the election on the, 20, the 29th of December... No matter what we do, we could never claim that we did it. What happened was beyond anything. We, had, we, we may have hoped for it, may have worked for it, but we could not have done it. Not one single person died for the whole year. 
Not a single candidate questioned the fairness of the results. And my iconic photo, we have party colors. My, uh, the photo I'm going to say we have to put in the report is of a guy in green, which is a color of one party. I have a green suit and I have it here because I can't wear it in Jamaica. <laughs> and one guy in orange, and I bought, my wife wasn't there, so I bought a, a shirt thinking it is peach and discovered it is very close to orange, so I have to bring it here. <laughs> um, one guy in green, one guy in orange, and they are on a motorcycle going down to vote. <laughs> There is no way. It's the most humbling experience I've had in my life. Because when you look at it, the only thing that you can do is to say, to God be the glory. You are, and let me tell you this, it's something I wanted to give up, you know. Planned to give it up before. Got trapped into it. Didn't, my wife knows. Didn't want to do it. Catherine is entering fifth form, fifth form to do the thing, grade 11 to do a VGC. I wanted to hear. And then I would, and all sort of things happen. One prime minister resigned, another one, and you're, you can't leave at this stage. So against my will, I, I had to say, Lord, I, know, I don't want to do it, but you have, a, you have a reason. And when I saw it come out that way, I could only say, the Lord did it. And if I leave it now, you can see that what we have accomplished. But it's not just me, it's the, it's the fact of the other members and of the political persons who are also believers. Because let me tell you, there is a coalition of the righteous that exists in every country and all it needs is leadership from those who truly believe. Let me, in conclusion... In this congregation in Calvary Bible Church this morning, there may be only a few people who have not answered the call, follow me. If there are, I'll say to you, brother, sister, there is no better life, there is no better way than to follow the master and to surrender to his will. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. The, the vast majority of us here have answered that call. We are followers of Jesus Christ. He has founded his church and he has commissioned us and he has given us gifts and capacities and abilities to carry out the work of ministry for the spread of the gospel, for the edification of the saints and for the building up of the body of Christ. We are all at different stages of our journey. The Spirit today will interpret and apply this message from His Word to each of our situations. God's pattern and plan for redeeming and reclaiming His creation is to send believers into the world, not to be of the world, but to transform the world by his presence and power. The world comes to know the Father by his people living the life of the Son through the enabling of the Spirit. Remember, the Christian life is an in and out process. It's in for fellowship 
It's out for fellowship. It's in for worship. It's out for work. It's in for soccer. It's out for service. It's in for renewal. It is out for re-engagement. Let us therefore hear the word of the Master. Wherever our place is in the journey, and as we come in today for worship, to go out this week, as the Father had sent me, even so send I you. Amen. Thank you.